And if you've never heard that before, well, I want to invite you at the end to make a decision to actually accept that love and start to follow Jesus. It's hard, though, when we read that, that verse that I mentioned before, John 3.16, because we read it through our 21st century lens, right? We, we don't face the same dangers, let's say, as what the people who are reading that, the gospel message for the first time would have been facing. See, that was written in a time when Jesus was put to death, but you too could have been put to death for the beliefs that you had if you failed to, to conform to the norm of society. And I want to read you this quote from Jerry Bashirs in a book that he wrote in, um, called Doctrine. He says that the average person, including the average Christian, is far worldlier and less biblical in his understanding of who he is and why he exists than he is aware. He thinks in worldly categories rather than biblical categories because the culture in which he lives is so fundamentally unbiblical in its thinking. Sounds like today, right? And it seems that the further we get away from the resurrection just in society and in time, the harder it is for us to see. And maybe the, the less we care to hold its power dear. And that's like anything. I mean, when we start a new job, we're excited, right? Start a new job, we're ready to go. We'll do all the tasks. We'll clean the toilets, everything. Doesn't matter. Three months in, oh, I'm good. Get someone else to do it. We treat relationships that way as well. The, the longer we're in something, the less care we tend to show it, the more comfortable we get. Yeah. See, when I was young, maybe five or six, I don't know if mum and dad are here, but five or six, correct me later. We went to New Zealand for a skiing trip, right? I'd never seen the snow before. I was very excited. New Zealand, as my wife would say. We were at Queenstown. See, she's the only one that laughs at that. But we were in Queenstown, right? And at the start of the day, we had our safety briefing. We were told exactly what to do, what to wear, how to wear it. We had our boots on, ski pants on, our braces, suspenders that go over your shoulders to hold up your pants, your shirt tucked in, turtleneck and ski jacket and gloves, right? We were kitted up. And we were told, this is how you use all the items. This is how you ski. This is everything you do. And as we went through the day, that safety briefing got further and further away from me, right? And then we went and had lunch. And you go into the, the lunchroom and it's no longer cold because there's heaps of bodies in there. It's heated. So you take your jacket off. I took my suspenders off. I'm taking my gloves off. We eat food as a family. We go to leave. Gloves go back on. Jacket goes back on. And we go out to the chairlift, right? I didn't put my braces back on. <laughs> and the chairlift, we'd used it heaps of times that day. It comes down the mountain, comes around. Who's been skiing before? Who knows how this works, right? Yeah. So it doesn't stop. You've got to get up on it as it keeps going up the mountain. And I was five or six. I was shorter then, so I had to jump to get up. And I have Dad next to me, and he nails it. He gets straight on. I jump up. Things are great. We're going up the mountain. Our skis are swinging. Because, you know, they're, like, they're big, and you've got to walk funny, and they're like all over the place. So they're swinging there underneath, and we get to the top, and it's the same as down the bottom. And what I remember from my safety briefing is, is you've got to push off and go down. But the safety briefing was a, a long time ago. 
And we get to the top and dad pushes off and he gets off just fine, right? But because I didn't put my braces back on because I was comfortable with where I was at, my braces got tangled in the slats of the chair. And as I pushed off, I bungeed back into the chair and flicked underneath. <laughs> oh no, you, you laugh till you're finished, by all means. And I was trapped underneath this chair being dragged along the ice back around the carousel and off the side of the mountain. Crying, screaming, yes, I'm fine. Thank you, Pastor Ben. (laughs) They had to stop the carousel and and reverse it a little bit to pull me back up onto the top of the mountain. (laughs) Like, it was traumatic. See, the further along in my day that I got, the more comfortable I became with, with what I was doing. And I didn't hold the things that I needed to hold close to me safe to the full extent that I needed to, and it actually put me in more pain than what I should have been in. And the further that we get away from the resurrection as a society, the more comfortable we get with today's culture and ideas of love. Can I tell you that there's a better definition of what love is than what society offers? And the good news is that God has already given it to us in his son Jesus. 1 John 3.16 says this, It says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the true definition of love. That's the final definition. Jesus loves you enough to lay down his life for you. That's it. But I wonder if I asked you today and I stopped and really got you to think about it, do you feel loved? Or how do you know that you feel loved? I wonder what your answer would be. Would it line up with that definition? Or the world's? And maybe when I say that, you think, well, I receive love by getting gifts. You know, like the five love languages. Who's familiar with the five love languages? Who's a a gift-receiving person in this place? Who doesn't want to respond? (laughs) Great. I'm a quality time person myself, right? Pastor Ben mentioned it before with with young kids. I'm still a quality time person. If you would spend an hour with me, I will feel appreciated and loved. My nana, though she has 12 children and many young grandchildren, I always receive a birthday card from her every year, and that makes me feel loved. But my wife is a physical touch person, and that is so foreign to me. It is. And see, even in how we express love, it can create tension because we don't always give and receive the same way because we're measuring it against different definitions. So for me as a quality time person, if I want to spend time with Brie after a long day, I want to sit on the couch, face her and talk. Now we have a three-seater couch and it's about probably this length actually between that speaker and that speaker. So I'll sit at one end. Bree, would you stand up for a moment and just show these wonderful people where you would want to sit on our couch? I don't get it. I don't get There's a whole nother seat there. Thanks, Bree. Yeah, why not?
But in a relationship where I'm supposed to show all this love, I'm still so confused and, and taken back by decisions like that. And that's just how we express it. That's not even talking about the definitions, right? The world has countless definitions for what love is. We've just gone through a whole month of a celebration of what the world considers love. But if you were to Google right now what love is, you would see probably four definitions. One would be an intense feeling of deep affection. That makes sense. Two would be a great interest and pleasure in something. That makes sense. And there's a couple of others, but then there's also another one that in sport, it can mean a score of nothing or nil. So love can both mean something deep and expansive and also nothing at all at the same time. So we express it in different ways. I give it in different ways to what you might receive it. Plus we define it in all different ways and they contradict each other. No wonder we're so confused by what love is. But I'm here to tell you that there is a better definition of what love is. And it's what we read just before in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's it. If you could grasp that, we would fully understand what love is. Can I just have my phone so I can stop my papers from blowing up? But that's hard for us to understand because we don't live in a society where we face the the threat of being put to death for something. But if we just stopped for a moment and really tried to grasp what that looked like, he gave up his life for us. Philippians 2 verse 6 says this. Speaking of Jesus, who... Stop ringing me, (laughs) mum. You know, that's years of me doing it to other people, coming back to bite me. (laughs) Philippians 2 verse 6 says this speaking of Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage see he gave up his kingship he gave up his royalty his priesthood he emptied himself of the authority that he had in heaven to come and be with his people He gave up everything so that he could know you and he could know me. I struggle to give up my personal space on the couch. (laughs) No, I'm serious. And that's the definition of love that we're called to live by. An emptying of self for the sake of others. Imagine if our city was transformed by that type of love. Imagine if your workplace was transformed by that kind of love. If we were willing to humble ourselves for the sake of others because God sent his son to do the same for us. Our households would change. Our families would change. Circumstances would shift. See, Jesus gave up his position and his power for his people. And 1 John 3.16 says that it's with that love that we should love others. And I've got to tell you, it it wasn't to fulfill some kind of task. 
It wasn't to tick off a checklist of, oh yeah, well that's done now. No, it was so that he could fully understand who we are, how we operate, to be fully human so that he could know you personally on the other side of the cross. That's why he did it. John 15 tells us that there's no greater love than one who lays down his life for a friend. And what's more, we didn't even deserve it. We read in in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Now, sin can be a confronting word, right? But, but sin is anything that separates us from God. It's, it's the, the things that we do that push the resurrection just a little bit further away, push God just a little bit further down the couch, right? That's what sin is. And, and we're told that while we were still living in that, in our brokenness, in our helplessness, God loved us enough to send his son, Jesus. That's the good news. That God gave us everything in his son, Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've been thinking about doing this week that maybe has separated you from God. As Karen said, there's nothing that we can do or think that's going to keep us from the love of God. It doesn't matter the state of your finances. It doesn't matter the state of your relationships. It doesn't matter how kind you are to others or how much you love your children or, or whatever. Nothing will keep you from the love of God. And it's once we accept the love of God that things start to shift in our lives and it starts to work on the other things that I've just mentioned. But as people, we tend to think because of society, we've got to clean things up before we can be worth loving. Well, I've got to get my finances in order, right, before, before I'm, I'm worth it. Well, I have to get my relationships in order before, before God would, would, be, would deem me worthy of being loved. But not one of us here would clean ourselves before getting in the shower. So why do we think we need to clean up our mess in order to accept the love of God that he sent to clean up our mess? Yeah, right? Yeah, Jesus covered it all. We don't have to do anything except accept it. That's the good news. Yeah. That God loved us enough to send Jesus. He gave us everything that we need. We just have to accept it. See, for us to fully understand the, the freedom that we've been given, sometimes we have to grasp how dead we are without it. And Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in sin. So what I, I mentioned before, not just yet, sorry, Ezekiel. What I mentioned before... Um, that while we were sinners, Jesus came. That sin, that the, the things that separate us from God, it actually creates death, and we were dead in that. But God sent Jesus. See, the severity of our condition dictates the depth and seriousness of the help and medicine that we decide that we need to remedy it. And if we continue to see our sinfulness as just a pestering headache rather than a spiritually lethal cancer, we will never fully understand or grasp the depth of love that God has for us. And maybe we'll only continue to reach for church as the remedy rather than Christ. But can I tell you that people don't need another service. They need a saviour. 
They don't need another church event for you to invite them to. They need to be invited into relationship with Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never heard that, can I encourage you? I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. But God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And exactly how you are is enough to receive that love. And don't get me wrong, encountering God and encountering Jesus can happen in a church service. But sometimes we limit Jesus to that. Sometimes we limit the power of the resurrection to what we can understand. And because we can understand church, well, we lose sight of other things. See, that's the good news. That God has given us everything that we needed through his son Jesus. You know, we've talked about how great that love is. And we've talked about how it came to be in 1 John 3.16. But how do we respond to it? We make a decision. We turn from what we've been doing and we choose to follow Jesus. Ephesians 2 tells us this in verses 3 to 5. It says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. See, it's by grace that you have been saved. That means that nothing we do could ever earn the gift that we've been given. And because we could never hope to earn it, there's nothing that we could do that could keep us from it. God gave it to us freely. I spoke about sin just a moment ago and talked about how they're the decisions that we we tend to make that separate the cross from us just a little bit or keep us separated from God just a little bit more. And I know that when I say that in this place, maybe there are some people who haven't been in church for a little while or maybe never before. But hearing that can be kind of offensive. Because we can think that we're good people. And I'm not saying that people here aren't. That's not what I'm saying. But, but when our measurement of good is against the definitions of the world, like we've seen with love, maybe our definition of, of good is slightly skewed as well. Maybe our definition of good is just once or twice removed from the true definition of good. And unless we're measuring our morality against Jesus, then maybe our Morality is shot through with holes too. If the band wants to come back up. See, we read in Acts that when we make a decision to believe and follow Jesus, we're actually freed from that weight of sin. And even that for us is hard to understand in this society because we're told that we should only forgive people who are worthy of being forgiven, right? They need to prove themselves worthy before we can free them from the debt that they have with us. We're seeing the craziness of people who have said things 10 years ago go to court and be held to trial because of who they were back then. See, there's no space for change. There's no grace for people to grow and make mistakes. There's no allowance for people to 
to change who they are these days in society. But can I tell you that there's a God who loves you enough to send Jesus and that it's through Jesus that we're able to make a change in our life. And through Jesus, if none of us can earn it, then none of us deserve it, which means that there's grace enough for you to be forgiven for the wrongdoings, to be forgiven for the thoughts that are out of place, to be forgiven for the things that we know we shouldn't be doing and separate us from God, but we continue to do anyway because it's in our nature. Ephesians tells us we were born with this. A genetic inheritance means that we are going to stuff up. And by the world's standards, that's not good enough. But by God's, he says, you're forgiven. And he doesn't just say you're forgiven. He says in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought. It doesn't matter where you've been. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, he takes all that brokenness and throws it at the other end of the compass. There is nothing that you can do that would keep you from the love of God. There is nothing that you could do that would be enough for Jesus to say, stay away. He still invites you to sit down on the couch right next to Him. That's the good news. That God loves you enough to send His Son, Jesus, to cover everything, to cover brokenness, to cover shame, to show you forgiveness and love so that you could have a full life, an eternal life, knowing Him. That's the good news. You know, He's inviting you into a relationship with Him. He's inviting you to sit down on the couch with Him. He's inviting you into a better way of living. It's not necessarily an easier way of living, but it's better. We read in 1 John 3 again, verse 7 though, in the ESV version, it says, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. It's going to take practice. It's going to take practice. But when we make a decision to follow God, believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, practice righteousness, we start to develop a love for Him. And as we get to know Him through the Scriptures, we start to develop a relationship with Him. And as we continue to do life with Him, that's what leads to love. That's what leads to life, a relationship with our Savior. Would you stand with me today? See, He gave us everything that we needed. God sent Jesus to cover all of our brokenness and shame. He gave us everything that we needed. That's what the good news is. That's what leads to life. And it's Jesus plus nothing that frees us. It's Jesus plus nothing that keeps us whole. So we're going to sing just a little bit more. We're going to worship just a little bit more and let God do a work in this place. And after we worship for a little bit, I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask a question. But as we worship, I want you to think, how do you know that you're loved? Or do you know that you're loved? 
wonder if we could close our eyes and, and bow our heads for a moment. See, it's His breath in our lungs that gives us life. And I wonder if in everything that I've just spoken about and how we've redefined what love is as opposed to our, our culture's idea, if there's just been some heaviness that's been weighing on you, if an awareness of the, the placement of yourself in regards to the cross has become more and more to your attention, Can I encourage you that that's God maybe tapping at the door of your heart saying, hey, it's time for you to accept my love. It's time for you to let me take that, that weight off you. It's time for you to let me show you the wholeness that I offer. And I wonder if you're sitting here and as we've been talking, you've been thinking that you're done trying to clean up the mess that you've made. I don't believe we can both be the problem and the solution. I'm done looking for love in, in what the world has to offer. And if that's you, whether it's the first time that you're hearing this and the first time you're making that decision, or maybe it's the first time in a long time, but if you want to accept the love that God has for you right now, would you show me your hand? Would you raise your hand and let me see? Thank you. Is there anyone else in this place? Whether the first time or the first time in a long time, God loves you. Jesus died for you, and you're enough exactly how you are. Incredible. Look, if that was you, would you place your hand on your heart? I'd love to pray with you. God, you see every heart, you see every mind in this place. And I pray that wherever people are at on this journey of faith, and if they're making that decision right now, that you will meet them where they're at, God. That you would show such a real example of your love for them right now, God, in this service. I pray that they will encounter you in new ways, God. And as they walk out of this place, they're not just walking away from a moment, God, but they're walking away with a change of life, Jesus. That they're shown a new way, God, a new love, a better way of living. And I pray that right now is a line in the sand for them that they can walk forward from, God. I pray that you continue to show them how much love you have for them. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, we're going to let the team keep playing. We're going to continue to worship. And I'm going to invite Lisa back up on stage.